Last week, we uh, started a series called Gifted, and a really simple, uh, simple series that we're in for the next few weeks, exploring uh, just the, the beauty of what we call spiritual gifts. And we don't make up this term. It's in the scriptures. It's in the New Testament scripture. The Apostle Paul uses it. And uh, we, said, we said this, and last week we talked about gifts. This, and this is how we defined it. I'll read it off the screen. Spiritual gifts are God's way to serve the common good of God's people and, God, and God's purposes. So spiritual gifts is a way that, that God has empowered us, gifted us to serve the common good of God's people and God's purposes. And we said these three things last week in summary out of a chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that spiritual gifts, first of all, are God's design for how the church works. And where do the gifts come from? The gifts come from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts. And we had also determined last week that each of you, each of us, is gifted or are gifted when we allow the Spirit to work in us. That's what we brought together last week as we started to look at this theme of spiritual gifts, as we jumped into this chapter from 1 Corinthians, uh, the gifts, the giver, and that each of us are gifted. A couple of weeks back, uh, I went to um, my daughter's high school for a concert. And uh, if some of, if you know, if you had friends or kids, uh, or you maybe when you were younger, you were like in a high school band. Often there was these concerts that take place. Uh, you know, the music department puts that together. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were there, and uh, it's awesome because several bands play, like the jazz band, the high school band, the junior high, the junior high band, the the the, the concert band. Uh, I don't know, like there was, must have been five different bands. And, and over the course of the night, what was really cool is if you think you're going to miss an instrument, there's a song that highlights like the horns or there's a song that highlights percussion or there's a song that highlights uh, clarinets or a song that highlights the flutes or the wind instrument. And it's pretty awesome that over the course of the evening with a different style of music or a different repertoire or a different composer, Every piece of the orchestra in some way gets heard in a unique way that highlights what they are. And it just reminded me, I just love seeing that because it reminds me that, especially in this kind of setting, every part contributes to the sound and expression of what's coming off the, this whole orchestra. It's beautiful. When I saw that, I mean, I can't, I can't help but think of the church. I can't help and think of how the church serves and works together with different gifts, with different skills, with different passions, just a variety. How, you know, when you think about our church or any church in the course of a different season or different environment or a different need that comes up, when we see that, we often get this sense that we see the different gifts being used. Even the last couple of weeks uh, in, a, in a time of mourning, when we come together around a family and have uh, some food or set up the space uh, to welcome people in this way, we see other different kind of gifts come into operation, all contributing together. And that's what I believe the Apostle Paul had in mind. Last week, we looked at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and it says this, and we'll read it together off the screen. Paul says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And here's the reason why, for the common good. When we ask the question, like, why? Why does God give people gifts? Why does God give you and me different gifts to serve in the body of Christ and for the greater good of his mission? For what reason? Paul says that each one is given a gift or a manifestation of the Spirit through gifts 
for the common good. What does that mean? When we talk about common good, we talk about it in a way where it means everybody benefits, where it's the benefit of other people. And that's what it means to be part of community. Think about that. Everybody contributes. Everybody benefits. If you want to think about what's the common good, it's that. Everybody contributes. Everybody benefits. And when that happens, not only something beautiful happens inside community, but there's an overflow to when that happens that people around that community get impacted, get touched, um, hear something, learn, grow, are served. And Paul, as he continues his chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and last week we highlighted that Paul was addressing an issue in this church because some gifts were highlighted more than others. Some gifts were looked down upon, and some gifts were put on a pedestal. But that, Paul says, that's not the way the church functions. That's not what the gifts are meant to do. The gifts are never meant that some person or some uh, person with, with gifts is looked down upon because of the use of their gifts, and that others are looked up towards. There's not that dichotomy in there. And he paints this beautiful picture, starting from verse 12, and he says these words, and we'll read it together. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an, an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And he continues, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while the presentable parts, the ones that get more visibility, more attention, the presentable parts need no special treatment, probably because they're already seen, right? But God has put the body together, giving greater honor, to the part, greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And he says this, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. I just want to emphasize that verse. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Here's the Apostle Paul trying to help this church figure out, oh, wait a second. Well, if, 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 some, if some gifts, uh, we're not supposed to demean some gifts and we're not supposed to put other gifts on pedestals. If we're using a single, you know, singling out some gifts as extra special and some gifts as not, if, if we think that only these gifts are important and these gifts aren't, no, 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 there's a problem here. So he paints this beautiful picture of a body in terms of how the church works. And really what Paul wants to get across is a few things. And I'll just, I'll say like that, and I list it on the screen just to be helpful. Everyone is connected. When you read this metaphor, 
gives us this idea that everyone is connected, that everyone is needed, that everyone is purposeful or has a purpose, and that everyone is valuable. Everyone. Paul's not leaving anybody out. This teaching is trying to help that church and our church understand no one is left out when it comes to the, the manifestation of the Spirit in terms of our gifts and our value and our connection and our purpose. And I love what he says in verse 12 when he, he makes this comparison. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. How? So it is with Christ. Just like a body has many parts, he's saying so it is with Christ. In other words, what Paul's trying to get at is this is how Jesus builds the church. When Jesus promised, I'm going to build my church, when Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and empower his church to be his living and local presence in the world and be on mission together and live in this new community together, that's how Jesus organizes the church, like a body. Jesus organizes his body, his church, his people, like a human body, where every part, whether it's indiscreet or visible, whether it seems weaker or stronger, whether it, it seems in that moment more important or another one seems less important, he's like, no, 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 that's not how that works. Jesus organizes his body, his church, to function like a body where all parts matter, where all parts matter. And you and I know exactly what this feels like because... You know, this, like, I mean, my elbow's pretty evident, right? Uh, you can see it right here. It's kind of cool. But, you know, I bet you that if all of a sudden I have, like, a pain somewhere, like, right under here, you won't see that. That's, like, under my shirt, under my skin, and it's a pretty invisible part of my body. But a pain in there could, like, wipe me out right now, right? It'll just be, and I was like, yeah, but it's so invisible. It's, it's not important. But it'll, like, I could, that pain can just wipe me out. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's like, no, no, just because you see this, doesn't mean that this is not important. Every piece, every part is important. In the ancient world, uh, when the time when Paul was writing to these churches and in the town of Corinth and the Roman Empire, it was very common. They had this, this, this vivid understanding that wasn't great, but they had this obvious view of lower, lower and upper classes. Now, we see that in our world today in some ways, but in that world, it was, it was a very common understanding that there was some people who were subordinate to others, that there was often a peasant class and a higher class, and there was this idea of, of certain people that were less important. In fact, sometimes cert, like a gender or uh, you know, a, a person that came from a certain kind of village or whatever was often looked as a subordinate, less important, um, weaker person in society. And so the assumption was, well, if this is how all communities work, as people came to faith in Corinth, they're like, well, yeah. I mean, if this person has the gift that everybody hears, I guess it works like society. They must be really important. And then the person that, you know, is really, maybe we don't see as much in, do, in when they use their gift, maybe they're not really that important. So maybe, there's, maybe it's just the same as, as culture. Maybe it's just the same as society. And Paul brings this metaphor and says, no, 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 that's not how the body of Christ works. It's not like that in Jesus' body. Everyone, everyone matters. Verse 27, I love how Paul writes it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one does its part. And I'm going to add a, a fifth line to this list we created. Because it's awesome and feels really good when we say everyone's connected, everyone's needed, everyone's purposeful, everyone's valuable. That really lifts us up. But there's this one piece that Paul is getting at in this metaphor everyone contributes. That as a body, each of our parts contribute. As the body of Christ, 
Each one does its part. Everyone contributes. That's part of the, the beauty and purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, if you're here for the first time today and you're like, man, I came to church, are they going to make me vacuum when I leave? Like, and well, if you want to, we won't stop you. But I mean, but we're not going to ask you. Like, we, we're, we're not like so glad that you came today. And it's like, hey, uh, next week you're on for vacuuming the carpet, you know? Th- that's, not the, that's not the purpose of why we've created our gathering and why we gather here and why we love to welcome guests and people who are searching and seeking and curious about faith. Our heartbeat is to help you see and experience the incredible life available in Jesus. That's our heartbeat. And many of the people who serve, you know, whether you see them or don't see them, we all work together to come together as a community to grow, but also to open this, this, this gathering up so people can learn about Jesus. That's the heartbeat. But here's something that's important. If you've been around for a while and you've been connecting to our church community and you've experienced this beautiful life that Jesus, we have in Jesus, when someone puts their trust in Christ and embraces Jesus and trusts in the death and resurrection of Jesus and becomes, just experiences the life that comes with that and becomes part of his body, then you are part of this new community. I don't mean West Side necessarily because, yes, locally, but the new community of Christ's body. You're part of that. You're part of his body. And part of the reason why the body of Christ functions the way it functions, yes, we exist for the world. We exist for others beyond us. We exist to to spread the incredible message of Jesus. But we function and we also exist to serve each other and serve one another and, of course, overflow to others around us. And so true community, and you know this even outside of the church, true community usually evolves into contributing to that community or with that community, right? That's often what happens. Last night, we were with um, a few people that, that um, took the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course in the winter, and we decided to do like a post-get-together, um, and, um, uh, and it was awesome. It was, it was at um, the Weaver residence, and uh, a few people at the end, as people started to, to tear down and put some things, a few people were sitting around the table, and you could tell the tension in people's hearts. It's like, I like sitting here. It's pretty comfortable, but maybe I should go close the table. You know, it's like, I, you know, oh, oh yeah, they're, they're cleaning. Maybe I should help clean or either I leave or clean. You know, it's like, you see that. It's like, uh, and it was like, it's, it's a tension, right? In our hearts, it's like, hey, if we're, well, if you're part of community, what are we doing? You know, are we going to help? Are we going to serve? Are we going to put some tables away? Are we going to clean up? And, and there's, there's sometimes that tension. True community usually in, evolves into a community that contributes, what do you call an event that you go to where you don't contribute? You call that a shopping mall? You call that a concert? You call that a golf course, right? If your golf cart doesn't work, what do you do? You call the front office and say, hey, the cart doesn't work. Bring me another cart. But if you were part of that community in a way, you're like, oh, how can I get the cart to the, to the house and work this out? When you go to the shopping mall, you just expect the shopping mall to function for you because you're the customer. When you go to a concert, you go and you sit and you listen and it's awesome. And if the, if for me as a musician, if the sound isn't great, I'm like, what's the problem? I paid 50 bucks for this ticket, you know? In those environments, we're consumers. But in the church, everyone contributes. Everyone benefits. Everyone contributes. Everyone benefits. And so when Paul uses that phrase, the common good, 
I, I feel it, it kind of looks like this, and, and I, I listed it on the screen, and I, we could have listed 10 other things. But it, it looks a little bit like this, that the common good for, for you and me is you, you are served, right? But it's not just that you are served. You serve, right? It's, it's it, when, when, the, when you're part of something that's the common good, you are cared for. But you're not just cared for, you care for others. You are loved when you are part of something that's the common good, but you also love. In the church, we hope and pray that these things take place, and sometimes they fall through the cracks, but we'll say you are supported, but you also support. And in so many ways, you receive, but you also give. And so when Paul says, now we're a body, that the, 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 the manifestation of the Spirit is evident among us through gifts that we receive for the common good. So everyone contributes, everyone benefits. And if we reverse it, everyone benefits, everyone contributes. And Paul gets personal here in, in what that feels like in verse 25 and 26. The heartbeat of the body, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I, you know, it's out of my wisdom and understanding that in the last week, um, two families in our church community lost loved ones. I mean, we've never, we've never in the history of our church, actually, and just maybe because of the demographic of our church or has happened, have actually done like a memorial in a space that was ours. And, um, and yet, in this time, we suffered with those who suffered, right? We stand with those who we need to stand with. That's part of what it means to be a community. And I think Jonathan expressed it well, where we grieve and we mourn together, but there's beauty seen when people come alongside and step into something and serve and encourage and support. That's what Paul is saying. And the beauty of the church is regardless of your age, regardless of your status, regardless of how much money you have or how little money you have, regardless of your needs or circumstances or ministries, all in that, there's this idea of everyone contributes, everyone benefits. What do you call, if, if you have something on your body that takes from your body but doesn't give to your body, what do you call it? A parasite, exactly. <laughs> a parasite leeches onto your body or somewhere in your body, and that parasite never gives back. All it does is it takes. All it does is it sucks. That's a horrible, I know it's such an ugly picture, and we even hate, you know, but that's, what, that's true. And so if, if Paul gives us this image of what the body is, I think we can look at the reverse and say, that's not the body, the body of Christ. Each part, none, not one single part is meant to be a parasite. Everyone contributes. Everyone benefits. And sometimes there are seasons where you benefit more and you're contributing less. And sometimes there are seasons where you contribute more and you're benefiting less. That's okay. Even in this gathering, every time we gather, like in this setting, even when you gather in a small group of 10 or 12 people, I can assure you that there's a few people that are benefiting less and there's some that are contributing more. It just happens. If you've ever hosted something at your house, right? The people who walk in are benefiting more than the host at that moment. And in some ways, the host is fulfilled and joyful and loves to do it if that's their gifting. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that's a reality. And even this morning, 
I, I, it hit me even in worship, maybe because of the theme that we're in, but I realized I was in such a beautiful moment in worship and I realized there's others who are, who are, who are sacrificing this hour or two to be with the kids. Now, it, it's, I, I know that many of them who are serving with the kids are doing it joyfully and are using their gifts and see the impact. But I felt in that moment, oh, wow, I'm, I'm benefiting here. I'm in God's presence with my community. It was beautiful. So... Let me, let me ask this, let me kind of shift this and ask this, and I want to, this next little part of the message will, will, will kind of run really at a, at a quick pace. How do you do your part? How do we do our part? How do we be, yes, it's, it's easy to understand how we can benefit, but how can we be contributors to this? And this is how Paul lays out this idea of spiritual gifts. So I want to help us discover in a, in a kind of, I hope, a practical way and a simple way. It won't be an exhaustive way. And I actually uh, heard uh, a message a while ago from, um, from John Orberg. He's a great writer and thinker, uh, great pastor. And, uh, and he, he, he did something uh, similar when I heard this. And I thought, you know, this would be a great, a great way to wrap our minds around this in a simple way in a setting like this. So I want to do a simple survey. If you have your phones, you're allowed to take them out. And if you have... Um, uh, uh, our app on, uh, like if you've downloaded our app on Google or on Apple, uh, if you go to your app, as soon as you open your app, and, and don't worry, if you don't have the app, that's okay. Don't go crazy to try and download it now, but you could easily type in Westside Gathering on the app stores and download it. And, uh, and right on the, the first page of the app, you're going to see Spiritual Gifts Survey. And when you click Spiritual Gifts Survey, this Spiritual Gifts Survey is going to come up. And there's a list of about 14, I think, um, spiritual gifts. And so what I'd like to do is I want, I want us, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quickly walk through this list. Quickly, not exhaustive, not in-depth, quickly. And it's not all the gifts that might be in the body of Christ, but is a little bit those that are maybe focused a little bit more on, on practicality and action-oriented gifts, uh, because I think we can relate to them at least in this morning that way. And what I want you to do as I walk through this, I want you just to mentally, and through, with the app, um, choose two or three. Choose two or three. Don't do it now. Just as we walk through it, I just want you to be ready for this. Choose two or three that best describe you. Or maybe there's people in your life that you've served with or, uh, you know, been in ministry with or been alongside of the church with, and they've seen certain gifts in action in your life. And that's maybe how you might discern that. Or maybe you really know that, yeah, you might even see like five or six of those things that you're good at, but there's been two or three where you've experienced the Lord at work in a powerful way. You, you've experienced, you know, there's things you can do and there's things you might be good at, but then there's these things that you've done that you've experienced God in a supernatural way at work. And that's one way that we also discern our spiritual gifts. Okay? Because somebody can, you know, um, help in any situation. And I think when you live in a home, uh, you're, if you live in a home, Somebody in the home will say, look, you don't have to be good at taking out the garbage. Just take out the garbage, right? Uh, you don't have to be good at washing dishes. You can just wash the dishes. Now, you can get out of that by being really bad at washing dishes, and then they tell you, that's enough. Stop washing the dishes. Um, but but the, the point is that in a community, we always, you know, there's a percentage of the things we do that we're just, we just do because we're part of a community. The hope is that there's a large chunk of what we do that lands within our spiritual gifts. So I want you to th keep that list in mind, and I want you to tick off two or three, and then once we're done, you complete it and press send. And uh, I think it's going to be a great, great thing. And if you don't have the app, that's okay. 
all the lists are going to be on the screen, and, and you can think of this visually, write it down on a piece of paper on your phone as well. So let me just, let me just jump into this. Not exhaustive, but like hit some gifts. And I'm not going to quote where they're from in the scripture either. I'm just going to list them quickly. So first thing, helps. People who have the gift of helps. When you have the gift of helps, you, like, you help other people accomplish something that's not your own task, generally. If you have the gift of helps, you're not doing something for your own benefit or even for your own goal or for your own vision. The person with the gift of helps looks at what someone else is doing and normally you hear this from someone who has the gift of, gift of helps. They say this, how can I help you? That's true. Someone who has that gift, they look at something that somebody's doing, maybe look at their vision, and they say, how can I help you? How can I make this better? How can I join you? That's the usual response. I met for coffee with with someone from our church about a year, year and a half ago, when they were first growing and connecting to our church. And this was one of the things they told me over coffee. They just said this, Dave, how can I help? How can I be of service? What can I do? Anything. And this particular person is a more behind-the-scenes type of person, although they're very gifted in other ways, but you could tell right off the bat they have the gift of helps. So that's one gift. Another gift is, is the gift of hospitality. People who have the gift of hospitality, and you might find this in 1 Peter uh, listed this way, and we see it scattered throughout the New Testament. People who have the gift of hospitality often help other people feel included. Now, that doesn't mean that you're great with food and you can, like, decorate a table awesome. Now, maybe that is true. But people with the gift of hospitality will even be in a room like this and see somebody and go over and say, oh my gosh, you're, I've never seen you before. What's your name? Can I show you around? What can I? And so their gift of hospitality jumps up and they end up serving this individual and helping them feel connected when they otherwise might feel disconnected. And I mentioned the Weaver's home. And uh, yesterday as I, walked through, as I walked into John Weaver's garage, he was at the other end of the garage into his backyard, and these were John's words. I stepped into his garage from his driveway, and John said, welcome home. That's what John said. He said, welcome home. I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> so so right, right there, that, that, that is, that's the gift of hospitality at work, right? In the scriptures, we see the story with Jesus going into a home, and there's the difference between Mary and Martha. Martha was busy doing stuff and cleaning stuff and preparing stuff and making sure that people would feel comfortable at the table and the environment, and Mary was like, Jesus, I want to hear more. Jesus, I want to hear more. And often it's true. We talk about Mary. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Love Jesus. And that's important for all of us. Martha has this gift of hospitality where she wanted everyone to feel included. That might be your gift. Another gift, encouragement. Encouragement. Somebody defined the gift of encouragement as someone who fans the flame of spiritual greatness in others. Someone who fans the flames of spiritual greatness in others. Sometimes we only see encouragement as, oh, let me give you a pat in the back, or oh, let me help you up the steps. Or No, no, no. The, the, the gift of encouragement is someone who sees potential in other people and fans into flame that spiritual greatness. That someone who notices that person's contribution and lets them know and finds a way to help them move in that. To notice that when someone has this contribution to make and has this purpose, this person with the encouragement comes alongside them. Barnabas in the scripture was like that. You know, Barnabas' name wasn't always Barnabas. It was Joseph. And this guy Joseph... I guess over time, the disciples and the apostles saw that he was such an encourager, they gave him the name Barnabas, because the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
So Joe was doing his thing, and the next week he's called Barney because he's such an encourager. And so, so that's what happened. Now, you've got to think, think about this for a second. The Apostle Paul comes into this. He's like, the, he's like the rogue apostle. Who is this guy? Like Roman citizen. He's so smart. He knows the Jewish law. I mean, he put people in prison. He was killing Christians before. The apostles are probably like, oh my gosh, I don't know if we want this person in our circle. Like, I don't know if we can give this person anything. And and for good reasons, they were a little frightened and maybe thought it would be a little bit too risky. Barnabas sees Paul and says, I see something great in you, Paul. I see something great in this individual. You know, Paul spent almost a decade in obscurity. We don't even talk about this at times, and we should. He spent almost a decade in obscurity doing nothing, nothing. And you wonder, like, in Arabia, like, couldn't he have planted a church? I mean, he planted so many later. Why didn't he plant a church in Arabia? He was doing very little. And so in this other city, Antioch, I mean, the mission is growing. It's getting full and messy, and everything's happening. And everybody's like, what are we going to do with Antioch? And Barnabas is like, Paul. Paul's the guy. Let's go get Paul. Paul has a gift. Let's fan this gift into flame. Let, Paul's going to come help us here. And Paul is encouraged by Barnabas. Barnabas didn't write a single word of the New Testament. Paul wrote several letters. And he encouraged another person named John Mark. John Mark also wrote part of the New Testament. Barnabas never wrote anything. He had the gift of encouragement. That was his gift. Aren't you glad for his gift? The early church was. Shepherding is a gift. When, when you have the gift of shepherding, you lean in to care for people's spiritual and overall well-being. You notice people's needs. You notice their situation and you come around with nurture and care. The word shepherding sometimes is used as the word pastor, but I'll be honest with you. If you've met more than three pastors, you know that not all pastors have the gift of shepherding, but there is the gift of shepherding in the church. So I want to differentiate in the role of pastor and, and the, the gift of pastoring or shepherding. Now, I'm not saying that to get myself out of a jam in case I, you know. I'm just saying that <laughs> although there might be some better people to be at your bedside when you're sick than me, but that, that's another story that maybe I have a better gift to that. However, this is what I want you to, to, to get here, that the difference between the role and the gift, because we need the gift of shepherding in action in the church. We need people to come around and shepherd people. There's too many of us, even in this room, for one pastor or even a few pastors to pastor everybody. But we need people with the shepherding gift in groups, in teams, in ministries, in every room, in gathering. So that might be your gift. There's the gift of administration. The gift of administration, whoever has this gift, helps people fulfill a plan, helps people organize a plan. People with the gift of administration organize in their sleep. They just love to do that. You'll see them writing lists at the, in, you know, in the corner of a room when something's going on and ideas are being shared. You know, Somebody shares the big idea and the administrators are like, we need these four things to make it happen. And the Greek word for it is helmsman. So it's kind of like the helmsman of a ship. So in the waters, in the trip, in this voyage, the helmsman helps the ship stay directed and on course. And people with the gift of administration help the church do that because the mission can get messy and community can get messy. And sometimes it's hard to organize everything around that. But the administer, the person who has that gift, they take that mission and they help it move forward so it doesn't become too much of a mess. They organize for greater effectiveness and greater uh, results. They love to do that. Another gift is the gift of leadership. 
And this ability to communicate vision, people with this gift, whether in small ways or large ways, whether in pockets of ministry or large pockets of ministry or church, they challenge people, they inspire people, they call people into something bigger than themselves, they call them towards something. And I've seen leaders, people with the leadership gift in our church, and I can see two or three different teams or even the same team with a different leader over a season. And you can see who has the gift of leadership because somebody who doesn't often says, I, I, I don't know who to, who to get on this team. I'm not sure. And the person with the gift of leadership says, I've talked to these three people. I've invited them onto the team. They're in for the vision. And so sometimes the person who doesn't have that gift, sure, they need to get others around them to use that gift. But the person who has that gift, sometimes they just see things that others don't see or call people into something. And it's beautiful to see. And so there's team and there's engagement and there's more. And here's one way to see that if, if, you're, if you're a leader, usually there's people following that's the person with the gift of leadership. There's, then there's a person with the gift of mercy. Different than shepherding, but mercy leans into people's pain, leans into people's mess. The person with the gift of mercy can't walk by a person with pain and not stop. They, they're walking and they see someone in pain and they're like, and, and then they have to go be with them. And the, the Good Samaritan's a great example of this. He's walking down the road, and other people pass the person on the other side of the street. The Good Samaritan, and it doesn't mean that we can't learn from the Good Samaritan and all be Good Samaritans, but we get this, right? There's people with that gift, their immediate responses. Oh my, I need to stand with this person in pain right now. I need to be with them. I need to sit with them. If you don't have this gift, you might pass that person. You might feel bad, and you might do it also out of your calling to Christ, but there's something in you that says, I need to, you know what, I want to help, but I just, I got to go to the mall and get my thing. And you don't even feel it as much as the other person feels it. And, and the person with the gift of mercy sits with the sick, and they're hurting, the overwhelmed, the grieving, and God seems to be at work when they do. Something beautiful happens, whether they're silent or they're speaking, the person with this gift, God works through them to comfort. There's a gift of knowledge. I mean, we can talk about this gift in different ways, but I'll talk about it in someone who loves to explore and communicate truth to others, to the body. They, they love to find clarity on issues and topics so everyone can benefit. They love to do that. But there's also a spiritual side to this gift, maybe a different way we might talk about knowledge when you're with someone and the Lord just impresses something on your heart for that person. And, and, you, and it's hard. I, I personally don't have this gift, but I feel like there's been two or three times in like 20 years. If it happened more, I, I think it might be my gift. But when I've sensed a, just a thought for someone and I let them know, and, it's, and if you have this gift of knowledge, somehow, sometimes you share something with somebody and it's just this kind of insight that that person needed in that moment. That kind of image that the Lord brought to your mind, not to their mind, and you bring, give it to them and all of a sudden that person steps back and says, oh my, I needed that image. That brought so much clarity to my situation right now. And so a word or a phrase or insight, and when you share it, it gives light. There's another one, the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is when someone has confidence in God's work, confidence in God's ability to act, confidence in God's plan. 
They're more than visionaries. They're more than leaders. They're more than administrators. They're people who have faith that the vision will succeed. And when others doubt around them, they say, no, I know this is going to happen. I know we can do this. I know God's on our side. I know God is blessing us. I know God's going to take us through this challenge. It's not just a general optimist. You know, the optimist always sees the glass half full. That's one kind of person. But this person with the gift of faith, they have this discerning faith. They have this discerning faith. You know, and, and, and I think I remember even in the last year, there were some people, right? We've had leaders and organizers and planners and helpers all work towards, you know, building, bringing to this place where we are today with this space. But there were people with the gift of faith that when the, the others on the team, or maybe they weren't even on the team and they're looking and others felt discouraged or others wondered, can we really see these resources come in? Is this really going to happen? Are we crazy? Why are we doing this? Is God, did God really lead us here? The people with the gift of faith said, no, this is... This is good. God's going to lead us through this. We're going to get through this challenge. I believe it. And it's not just a pie-in-the-sky belief. It's a discerning faith. Yes, it's going to be a challenge, but we're going to overcome. Just a couple more. The gift of teaching. The ability to explain and, and apply biblical truth. To call people under God's word. And this gift is not just information. It's transformation. It leads people to transformed lives. Not just knowledge in their heads, but how they live it out. Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament were great examples of how they explained the scriptures in a way that led to Paul and others' transformation and movement forward. Then there's people with the gift of wisdom who have this just ability to make other, help other people make decisions. And we have people in our church that, that when you meet with them, you get this sense they have wisdom. Now let me tell you, if you think you have the gift of wisdom, but nobody else thinks you have the gift of wisdom, you don't have the gift of wisdom. All right? That's just, that's just a given here. And so, so I know it's a gift that everybody wants. Uh, and we can, grow, we can all grow in wisdom. We can all grow in all these gifts, but we don't all have these gifts. Okay, to a certain degree. If you're a two at wisdom, you can grow to a four or five. But if God's really using you in wisdom, you're going to notice it. And the same with other gifts that I mentioned. Then there's the gift of giving. Some people just have this ability to give substantially out of their resources. We're all called to give, but some people have this just wonderful gift. I was sitting with someone in the last month, and not part of our church, and they were telling me about this investment that they're working on. They're like, could you please pray for this? This could literally be millions, and I'm excited because if the Lord does this, we could fund so much ministry. That's the gift of giving. The person's not saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait. If this works, we're going to cash this in and go to Tahiti. No, no, this person's like... We're going to, I don't know what the appeal is to Tahiti, but, it, you know, but anyways, but, and it doesn't, and it doesn't matter if, if you have money or not. If you have the gift of giving, you're like a recreational giver. You do it for fun because you just love to give. And you're like, how else can I give? It's not reserved for rich people. Many people with ordinary income give extraordinary gifts, extraordinary gifts. I had an uncle who, um, if you would have seen the way he lived, his modesty and his clothes. I mean, he lived with the same clothes that he left Italy 40 years before. <laughs> I'm telling you. He had modest jobs all his life. All his life. When his church invested in a new community and moved, I mean, he wrote one of the biggest checks for this church. Biggest. It was crazy. Um, I want to tell you the number, but I'm on a podcast, so, it doesn't, so I don't want to say that. It was beautiful, and, I, and it makes me realize that 
It doesn't matter how much you make. If you have this gift, you'll love to do that. The gift of serving. The ability to identify unmet needs in the church. There was someone in the Bible called Dorcas, and they, they said about her that she loved to serve people. She did good, and, and she was doing good and helping the poor. When she died, Peter walks into her room and raises her from the dead. Peter didn't even get raised from the dead. Dorcas got raised from the dead. She was a servant. She loved to serve. And when you have that gift, you serve that need, and you bring others around it. It's so beautiful. And then this last gift, Intercession. This is when you have the ability to press into the Lord's presence and prayer deeply for people. For any need that comes up, you, you, you catch that need and you start to pray for it. And there's people that say, I'm praying for you, but the intercessors are really praying for you. There's people that are really praying for our, our that, are, that say they're going to pray for our project in Central Asia. The intercessors are on their knees praying for our friends in, in Central Asia in this mission. There, there's, when you have the gift of intercession, you pray for people, you pray for God's uh, mission, you pray at length. Sometimes you're woken up from sleep in the middle of the night and you're like, I have to pray for this person. I don't know why. Or I have to pray for this country. I don't know why, but God's putting it on my heart. And you have this gift. You have this gift, and, you, and often people with this gift keep praying until they see something happen because they believe that their prayers matter and God works. So we've just, I'm going to literally like be kind of cold turkey stop here, but I've just, we've just listed 14 of these, of some of the common gifts. And my heart of doing this is for us to sit and say, hey, wait a second, are one of these or two of these or three of these mine? I think if you wrote, wrote five or six down, you're probably fooling yourself. But, uh, you know, stick, stick, to, stick to two or three. And, and, and this is what I want us to do as we, as we come to the, and we wrap this up today. To see those, and of course there's more, and there's other ways that we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in the next few weeks. But to start this off, to say, oh, do, do, do I have, is God using me in this way? Have others noticed this in me? Have I sensed God's power at work when I you know, serve in this way or, or, or function in this way. And as we wrap up, let me say just two things about this. How will, how will you learn? How will you grow? How will I learn? How will I grow? And it's really simple. Try, test, and trust. Try, test, and trust. You might think you have one of those gifts. Try it. Test it out. You might think that you might be a, a great asset in, in one of our church ministries. Try it. Test it out. There's no harm in realizing it's not for you. There's no harm in thinking you have uh, the gift of wisdom and realizing you don't. No one's going to judge you for that. There's no harm in thinking you have the gift of leadership and you don't. No one's going to judge you for that. There's no harm in trying something and then maybe seeing, oh, the Lord's at work here. Try something. Test it out. Join a ministry team where you can use your gift. Ask people if they think uh, you, know, you have this gift or not. And if it doesn't pan out, move on. And then trust, then trust God. Because the Lord is orchestrating his gifts. Trust God for how he distributes and determines his gift. God's a great designer. And it's not optional. We're all called to contribute. We're all called as a, as a byproduct of that to benefit. And here's this. If you are the church, if you are part of the church, if you are a Christ follower, and let me tell you this, I know that there's many people who serve here. We have a list of 100 people who serve on our, on, in one of our volunteer way at Westside. I want to just say this to you. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. And let me say this to you. You are not crazy. 
You are not crazy for serving. You are not crazy for using your spiritual gift. You are not crazy for giving up your time and your resources. You know what you are? You are being the body of Christ. You are being the body of Christ. You're being a contributing member of the body of Jesus for the common good of his church and the overflow of that to those around us. Amen? Let's hear these words of the Apostle Paul to you. Now you are the body of Christ. And each part does its, each one does its part. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one does its part. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into the scriptures, look into the heartbeat of how you've designed the church, there's no doubt in our minds that you've, this is, there's a huge benefit when we are part of the new community you create in Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit. But there's no doubt in our minds that you've called us to be contributors, members, participants, parts, each and every part. God, everyone is valuable, purposeful, and connected. And everyone contributes. Lord, may we see our part, our role. Help us as a church to help one another discern that in conversation, in prayer, in discussion. But God, ultimately, God, may it grow out of a heart to be your living in local presence here inside our community and then beyond as you use us in mission together as a community. So I pray even now as we've been just going through these gifts this morning that your Holy Spirit would, we would be able to hear the voice of your Spirit. You would help us begin to discern what this looks like. And I pray, God, that at at this very moment for some that maybe need to make a step forward in this, that today would be the start of a decision, regardless of what their gifts are or where they serve or what this turns out to be for them specifically, God, but that their heart today would turn towards you and just make this bold declaration that I will be a contributing member of the body of Christ. I trust that if that takes place, Lord, in all of us, then what comes next is going to be beautiful. Thank you for how you've used us in so many ways, even just seeing this video, how you've used us in the last 18 months, different gifts, different parts. We know the future is bright. Help us discern, listen, and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.